0: For Brooklyn. I'm your host, David Little, inviting you to join us.
1: Thank you very much mm-hmm. for coming along. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for coming along. I think the voiceovers have helped the record enormously. That's it, is it? I mean, that really is it?
2: And Welcome. Good morning,
3: good
0: morning, good morning,
3: good morning. Check, 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 check.
0: Yeah, nothing's coming
2: through. Hello? Hello? Hello?
0: Sorry, Tasha, we've got some technical difficulties here. Mm -hmm. You can? On the live feed? Really, because there's nothing on the board. Okay, well, thanks a lot. You are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. This is the Physical Culture Music and Art Show. Hey,
3: you got art in my exercise. Hey, you got exercise in my art. Physical Culture Music.
0: Streaming live on Radio Free Brooklyn, Wednesdays, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. And we are here this morning with Tasha Norman. Hello, everyone. Tasha runs New York City Dance Week, as well as being a Pilates instructor. Uh, Welcome, Tasha. Thank you for joining us. I'm sorry I'm not seeing all my lights on the board here, so I'm not... uh, convinced that everything is working, but hopefully it is. So we're going to fly by the seat of our pants here today.
4: Let's do it.
0: And Tasha, first mm-hmm. question, how did you get involved in dance and the arts?
4: Well, I I think I should born in the dance and the arts um i started my dance career very very early uh, with the maria brooks dance company um when i was about 11 years old and prior to that i was dancing and training and doing gymnastics Uh so i'm i started Mm -hmm. off as an athlete i think as soon as my mother kind of pumped me out i was dancing and doing backs backwards somersaults Uh so um because of all that energy my mother put me into a um uh, you know, a dance program, an acrobatics program. Mm-hmm. And I, I excelled in that just because I had a lot of energy. And then I joined a dance company and I trained at, um, uh, Alf, um, uh, <laughs> oh my goodness, I just <laughs> forgot all these different dance companies are popping up in my head, but I just danced at different dance studios throughout New York City, um, throughout Queens, throughout Brooklyn and throughout Manhattan. And when I landed at Marie Brooks, that's what mm-hmm. kind of, you know solidified my dance career and that put me on stage
0: and what did marie brooks do specifically what sort of dance was that
4: yeah so her her um style i should say was a combination of modern caribbean african with a little bit of ballet technique in there Mm -hmm. she used to um be a dance teacher and i took classes with her and you know there's certain body types that Mm -hmm. I would say, I shouldn't say a better uh, or worse at ballet or modern, but Mm -hmm. I had that physique. I was very strong. I was very powerful from the gymnastics. Mm -hmm. And so I had that physique where there's a lot of power and strength in my dance. Mm -hmm. So I kind of moved towards the modern, the Caribbean Mm -hmm. and the African. So there was Mm -hmm. a blend of that. And the Marie Brooks Dance Company was that company, that that creative outlet that allowed me to shine with my Uh style.
0: Absolutely.
4: So, and we toured the world. I mean, we were a touring company and we uh, toured all over the world. And again, I started at 11. I was that Uh young. And then we traveled around and then I went to college.
0: (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And what did you study in college? Did you study dancing college or something else?
4: I believe it or not, I was an English major. But Mm -hmm. the funny thing was, I was part of the dance company. I also ran track in college. Oh,
0: great. So you had some athletic pursuits as well as artistic pursuits. Absolutely,
4: because I was an athlete. I felt I was an an athlete, even though back in the day, they didn't consider a dancer to be an athlete. Now, dancers are athletes, but Mm -hmm. I was already an athlete. So they had to find a way to fit me in because I was very athletic, very strong, but I was also a dancer. Mm -hmm. And those two did not connect back in the 80s Mm -hmm. so now it does so now my body type is appreciated Mm -hmm. but back then it was a struggle Mm
0: -hmm. well did you find no i came up as a dancer i worked with ballet hispanico's junior company Mm -hmm. for a number of summers not that i was any good but you know i was involved i took a lot of classes but nobody ever told us to lift weights nobody ever gave us any sort of Guidance as to how we could do things to help ourselves besides taking class. I mean, they would say stretch. Oh yeah, watch TV and a split. Mm-hmm. But that was sort of the uh, do some push-ups. But that was the extent. Did you have any different
4: experience? My experience was very different because mm-hmm. I was an athlete. I knew how to use the weights. I knew mm-hmm. how to stretch. So I didn't suffer the injuries that a lot of dancers had going forward. So, because I had that mind body connection, I literally knew what to do with my body. When I was not performing at the optimal level, I knew what to do to condition my body. Mm -hmm. And that came through the athletics and the conditioning and gymnastics. Because gymnastics now, I mean, I look at the training I did in gymnastics, a lot of it's Pilates. Mm -hmm. And I was doing that way, way, way back. Mm -hmm. So, my body was already ready to, you know, kind of overcome a lot of the issues that the dancers have now ankle issues back issues those mm-hmm. kinds of challenges
0: was there a specific coach that taught you how to lift or was there somebody that you can credit with sort of bridging that gap for you
4: who can i credit that fit my fitness mm-hmm. who actually i don't know <laughs> that's a really good question i credit myself uh-huh. um, well i had so many different trainers Uh that um, I think I had to create something that worked for me because I was also a dancer. So the athletic side of me and this athletic component had me doing a lot of athletic work and a lot of athletic conditioning. But I had to enhance that with the dance. Mm -hmm. So although, you know, you're running track and you're working, you're doing your uh, drills, I would also do splits. Uh-huh. And I would do bot mas mm-hmm. and I would do a tandu series. Mm-hmm. My athletic world did not understand that at all.
0: Uh-huh. But even day, though it's agility, it's movement prep, it's ballistic stretching, it's all these things that as a strength coach you could say, oh, that makes perfect
4: sense. But they didn't get it. They mm-hmm. didn't make that connection at all. But I had to do it. So in terms I, I don't know who to credit for that, but I just knew I needed to do my own work. So I was mm-hmm. blending a lot of different conditioning styles in with my own Training mm-hmm. so that I could be a better athlete, a better track star, mm-hmm. and a better dancer.
2: Mm-hmm. So
4: it was me creating my own.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's great. What What was your event in track?
4: Uh, I was I ran the hundred meter dash and the oh. two by four. Uh, uh-huh. Two by four. So I would run um, the four by four by four. It's called mm-hmm. two by four. Four by four. I was a sprinter completely, mm-hmm. um, and I would do a little bit of the relays, but I was more you know hundred meter dash. Um, just He's, the gun goes off. I'm running. Uh-huh. That's as far you know. That's mm-hmm. that was my thing. Big time sprinting. I did a little bit of the hurdles, but I wasn't really going that far um, with that, only because I just didn't like the the cadence
3: mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> of leaping without uh-huh. being doing a grand chate. Uh <laughs> And then, um, and that yeah, I would. Uh, what else did I do? Yeah, the two hundred. That's it. Mm-hmm. That was my. I was mm-hmm. I was a sprinter. And then
0: did you? Do track in high school and college, or? No, I didn't one? do. I
4: didn't do track in high school, but mm-hmm. I did it in college. Mm-hmm. So um, I was, yeah, I was running track. Like I ran track in um, junior high, as opposed mm-hmm. to high school. So I missed mm-hmm. the track because I was more into dance. Right. I was really performing a lot in high school, so I really couldn't do the athletic component in high school. So, but I it came back to it in college.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. So,
4: you know, I kind of reconnected with my athletic roots when I was in college, Uh but the, but the gymnastics was always there for me. I kept up my gymnastics Mm -hmm. training.
0: And then was there a period of time between college and moving into fitness or did you go right from dance track college into fitness? Or how does that play out? That
4: is the interesting story. I took a hiatus at that point. After college, honestly, I was burned out. Mm -hmm. I was really burned out. Dancing so long, athletic for so long, I really burned out. And plus, my mother said, you know, you need to do something with your life. (laughs) I couldn't continue to dance. She was like, you need a job and went to college. So I ended up kind of going into the, you know, professional career. I went into advertising. I went into finance. So I did that for maybe... Three or four years, and I continued that, realizing I needed to work out to keep my body and keep my mind sane. And I would go to different dance comp- different uh, classes at dance studios. Uh, then I went to um, a few. I joined a few gyms, mm-hmm. realizing it wasn't enough for me. I needed something different because, again, at that time, there wasn't that hybrid of dance and fitness, mm-hmm.
3: and I needed mm-hmm. both.
4: So I created my own. I just would go around and look for dance studios that give me the dance. Then I go to the gym and work out Mm -hmm. and I go swimming here. So I would bounce around at different areas around the city Mm -hmm. to get my fitness on while I was still working. So that was my fitness. So rather than going to Bally's Mm -hmm. every day, I would go to a dance class Mm -hmm. or I would go Mm -hmm. to a spa somewhere that was, or a stretch or a massage. So I was creating my own resource inside my own Mm -hmm. head to get my body right so I can go back to work the next day.
0: Uh-huh. Yep. what were you doing for work at that point so at the
4: time I was in advertising I was a broadcast mm-hmm. producer producing commercials uh, awesome. which I loved mm-hmm. I lo- that was like one of the best jobs I've had I loved that mm-hmm. job um, but it also gave me the flexibility to work out but what it also did was when I was traveling because as a producer I was on the road at least six months out of the year mm-hmm. um, I would try I would find different places to work out so if I'm in LA or in London wherever I was I would look for a dance studio mm-hmm. to take a class or a mm-hmm. gym or whatever just to get myself fit. So then so, I created a resource for that.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So when did the Pilates come in? Because you're also a certified Pilates instructor. You worked with Romana, yep. you studied with Romana. Mm-hmm. So how did that come where did you discover that?
4: Interestingly enough, as I mentioned in gymnastics we were doing Pilates. So uh-huh. I looked But
0: were you calling it Pilates we cal- or no, no we weren't calling so it Pilates. So you didn't you were just doing know. similar
4: I mm-hmm. were doing similar work, but I didn't know it was Pilates. But a lot of the instructors, when I look back, I'm thinking, did they really mm-hmm. understand what that we were doing Pilates mm-hmm. and not calling or it Pilates? Or were they
0: just other Eastern Europeans who were doing similar Precisely. work? Who, mm-hmm.
4: Precisely. Because mm-hmm. in gymnastics, a lot of Eastern Europeans were the coaches. Mm-hmm. So I got into Pilates, maybe, I want to say maybe like the real technical term mm-hmm. of Pilates, in the late 90s. Uh-huh. And because I knew it was part of my journey for fitness, and I needed something that was similar to my training that I had in gymnastics, which was Pilates. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I had a magazine called Tandu, and we were look we were exploring different types of fitness modalities. Mm-hmm. And Pilates came up. And I said, you know, this is interesting. It seems kind of familiar. Then at the time, I went to Drago's gym, which mm-hmm. is where Ramana was teaching at the time with her daughter, Shari. And I said, you know, I'll take a few classes. I, did, was, I was in love with it, clearly, because it just resonated with my body mm-hmm. and made sense. Um, and I did a story for, on them uh, called The Legacy of Pilates in my magazine, Tandu. And I said, you know what? This is something that I want to be a part of. So I decided to join the program. Mm-hmm. And uh, and get certified, and Ramana was there, and it just the legacy of Pilates is tremendous. Now it's all over, but mm-hmm. at the time, you know, there's only a few Pilates instructors, so mm-hmm. kind of the best of the best were taking classes with Ramana, mm-hmm. and um, and then over the years, of course, things changed, but we still have the core essence of Pilates at our studio. So um, our studio is called Lifespan Pilates. Mm-hmm. It's on Forty Sixth Street between Fifth and Sixth in Manhattan, mm-hmm. and we have Shari's daughter who comes uh-huh. in to teach at our studio and do the CPEs and certifications. That's great. So it's great. Yeah. We're, mm-hmm. we're considered like the, the headquarters for Romanas Pilates in New York. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the certification mm-hmm. center for Romana's Pilates, mm-hmm. that's the studio. So mm-hmm. we really believe that we have to keep the source and the spirit of authentic Pilates and what Ramana was teaching through the Joseph Pilates method, keep mm-hmm. that alive and sustained, mm-hmm. you know, so that people understand what the root of Pilates is all about.
0: Mm-hmm what was your experience during that time when there was the litigation over using the name and we all just say Pilates based work and mm-hmm. things like that
4: yeah at the, I was there I was mm-hmm. around at the time and I was had a part of some of those meetings mm-hmm. and I was there with Romana and I understood the anxiety that was happening and I saw kind of a piece of of I saw a piece of Romana kind of go away when that happened
3: Mm
4: -hmm. um because it was hard it's hard Mm -hmm. you know when you look back and you look at pilates and what joseph pilates tried to do and and there's debate on who he gave his system to and who he has to run Mm -hmm. the studio there's a debate on that right Mm -hmm. but in terms of where the spirit of pilates now and who's staying true to the core source of what joseph the genius of joseph pilates i really believe that was ramana Mm -hmm. um So, I mean, everybody's going to debate it and the lawsuit and all that's going on and and you opened it up to Pilates based and, Mm -hmm. you know, and everybody's like teaching Pilates now. Mm -hmm. But when you there's a difference when you take a class with someone who's studied with Ramana Mm -hmm. and and stays true to it, has not changed it. And then take a class with someone who has not trained or doesn't understand the basis and the origin of Pilates There's Mm -hmm. a big difference. What we say is we can change lives, reshape bodies. Everyone else can say the same thing, but they're not doing it in a safe manner, which
3: is mm-hmm. a core
4: of Romano's Pilates. There's a safety component to it, but there's also a, deep, a deepening mm-hmm. that a lot of the other Pilates instructors or systems don't necessarily have. That mm-hmm. mind-body deepening, it's, it's hard to explain, but I tell you, it's, it's magical, mm-hmm. it's personal,
3: mm-hmm. and
4: it changes lives. So I, when I did my exploration of what type of Pilates I wanted to participate in, I automatically gravitated to Ramana's.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is obviously a much bigger subject, but one of the main differences that's come about since uh, that lawsuit and since we have the Pilates Method Alliance and all of these different things is the... I believe it's the more traditional approach of imprinting and spinal flexion and flattening your back, as opposed to the maintaining a neutral spine thing. Is that a difference? Is that? Are there other differences? Can you speak to that a little bit?
4: I, I actually I can because I I studied both. So there's a mm-hmm. supported pelvis and mm-hmm. the neutral spine. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of, you know, the support in the neutral. So that's what the, you know, you put your hand behind your back. If there's mm-hmm. a little bit of a gap there, you kind of had the neutral spine. Mm-hmm. And the supported pelvis is where your pelvis is anteriorly tucked. So mm-hmm. the lower back is on. But mm-hmm. what's interesting enough, and how I explain this to some clients who have asked mm-hmm. that question, imagine yourself on a reformer. So the mm-hmm. reformer, your head pieces up, so you're kind of in a bowed position and your legs are on top of the foot bar. So you're in that curved uh, Bowed position. Mm-hmm. And in gymnastics, we call that the hollow hold. Mm-hmm. So your back mm-hmm. is down,
2: mm-hmm.
4: right? So when we say back down, that means you're in that position. So I don't call mm-hmm. it imprinting, you're just in that position. Right. You're maintaining right. that and engaging your abdominals and your powerhouse.
3: Mm-hmm. So
4: when you do the 100, you're in the same position. So I don't argue that you should be a neutral or supported pelvis. Your back is down if your head is up and your legs are up. There should mm-hmm. not be a gap there. You should be supported. Your back is down. So when you do the exercises and you think about the engagement of the body and and the shape,
2: mm-hmm. then
4: you're in that boat position. Now, mm-hmm. if you're lying flat and your legs are straight and you're lying flat in your back, you are going to have an arch. But what we do in Romanus Pilates, we, you know, it's, I, don't, I never want to say belly button to spine because I know everybody mm-hmm. usually says that. But you want to really suck in that stomach so that you feel the energy of your up, upper abdominals pulling into the spine, not necessarily flattening the spine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the explanation. But people kind of distort that to say, well, you know, Ramana's Pilates is all about keeping a flat spine and, you know, it goes against the natural curvature of the spine. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I get that. But that's not what we're trying to say at all. You know, it's mm-hmm. about engaging. So mm-hmm. I think some of the language and the terminology has been distorted mm-hmm. in terms of explaining what the neutral and uh, and supported pelvis should be.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: In terms of incorporating other modalities, when we were on Facebook earlier, we both know Dave Gagnon, so at your studio Lifespan pilates com.
4: Yes it
3: is.
0: Do you incorporate other modalities? Mm-hmm. Do you have kettlebells or weights there or what are, what's you know, your take on that?
4: Sure, we don't have kettlebells, we don't have we do have weights, no kettlebells, but we do teach mm-hmm. stretch classes. Mm-hmm. So we have a stretch um flexibility and mobility class and we also teach gymnastics. So it's similar to what Drago's had. So if we go mm-hmm. back to what, you know, the seventies and beyond um, where the gymnastics was a huge component of Pilates. Mm-hmm. So we have the gymnastics we have, we call adult gentle gymnastics mm-hmm. for those who are not doing the hardcore, mm-hmm. you know, back handsprings, but just really want to understand how to get into a handstand, mm-hmm. maybe do a few back walkovers and cartwheels. So we have that for the adult population as well as the younger population and the stretch classes. Mm-hmm. So we think that is kind of the basis for, for, it keeps within the concept and the integrity of Pilates. -hmm. You know the stretch, Mm -hmm. strengthening, and the gymnastics, and which is skill training. Mm -hmm. So you take the Pilates conditioning and what you're doing in Pilates, Mm -hmm. and then you take it to a skill. Right, and get up
0: onto your hands Mm -hmm. and things like that. That's awesome to see that progression because that was certainly my experience. I came to Pilates through my acrobatics class. Mm -hmm. So I used to study acrobatics with a man named Chuck Kelly at Broadway Dance. And then I met a woman named Tajahara, who had been a student of Ramana's, and then I started doing Pilates. But we also incorporated a lot of weights into Mm. our conditioning. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. it was all about the weights and the Pilates to get better at acrobatics and tumbling, Ah, which was kind of an interesting thing. But then after the lawsuit, everything sort of changed to this physical therapy application of Pilates as opposed to the performance application unless you were a dancer but then you know it was sort of hard to tell so it's a interesting journey
4: it is an interesting journey i mean i i have some stories i can tell you as many times if i've been to physical therapists um they i haven't been helped physical therapy didn't help me pilates did Mm i would be honest i you know Mm -hmm. i know people have a lot of you know mixed feelings about that but you know i've been to a lot of physical therapy through my dance and gymnastics and track career Mm -hmm. pilates is what pretty much helped me and saved my back you know and my legs because there's a different way of working and a different way of thinking about your body through pilates than targeting certain areas that they do in physical therapy Mm -hmm. i don't know if i want to touch Mm -hmm. that but you know what i mean it's a different Mm -hmm. kind of engagement so if you're trying to go back to the stage if you're dancing if you're trying to get back to you know acrobatics Mm -hmm. um if you're doing even circus work it's Mm -hmm. You you need to have that mind body connection that I think you get better with you 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 get that connection with Pilates,
3: mm-hmm.
4: right? Because it's a total body workout. You're understanding how each b- part of the body works with the other part of the body. Mm-hmm. Extremities work with the core. Right.
0: As opposed to having to work on one area to be able to bill insurance. Exactly. Which is so a it's like how many clamshells
4: can you do, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, okay, I got my hip. You know, it's working. Uh-huh. You know that mm-hmm. but um I think I think the Pilates takes it to a whole nother level.
0: Absolutely. Now, you mentioned getting back to circus. Mm -hmm. Another thing I've noticed is that there's so many aerialists now. I mean, you know, pole has become a thing, but also people doing silks Silks. and all of this other stuff. Have you incorporated that into what you offer or have you gotten involved in that personally at all?
4: Well, I haven't. Well, years ago, I used to do silks Mm -hmm. um, just because it was so much fun and just reminded me Mm -hmm. of just the aerial work. Um, but we do not incorporate that. However, our gymnastics instructor, his name is Pacho, who we love, Andrew Pacho, mm-hmm. he um, was, an, is an, was an instructor at Circus Warehouse, uh-huh. and he was also an acrobat, uh, acro, acrobat mm-hmm. and a wonderful gymnast. So he incorporates a lot of that into his gymnastic classes as well, which is uh-huh. really interesting, really mm-hmm. interesting. So we do have a little bit of that in there. So each of our gymnastics instructors comes with a different type of sensibility. We also have Eastern European g- gymnastics instructors, uh-huh. which is that hardcore, uh-huh. and I love it. I love uh-huh. it. It's, a, it's, it's really um, – it's a strength type of – Gymnastics. Mm-hmm. If you, if like, mm-hmm. I'm going to date myself, but I'm going to go <laughs> way back to like the Nati Komunich and the Olga. I mean, that mm-hmm. kind of intensity with the flexibility of a supple spine. Mm-hmm. So we had that type of gymnastics training. And then you also had the circus types mm-hmm. of gymnastics training. So we have that all at the studio.
0: That's Come awesome. Come on by. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Com. Yes. So you moved from producing commercials to doing Pilates. How did New York Dance Week come about? How did you then get involved in in that? Was that a, a parallel thing or did it happen more in sequence with these other
4: it was it was actually in, it was parallel then it became in sequence because I really realized that after you know I, I started a magazine called Tandu Magazine and I added all of the sto- the my stories about dance classes and fitness into this magazine so it was a mm-hmm. custom publication and it was just my journey of where I was going through uh, for fitness in New York City then um, I had some advertisers who wanted to do an event and they said let's put together something and I decided to create a wellness festival. It's mm-hmm. called the Tandu Magazine Wellness Indulgence Festival in Union Square Park. Uh-huh. And uh, so that, it, that's where it started. That's where actually Dance Week started because at that park, we had dance performances. We had fitness. We had yoga. We had workshops. Everything that was the concept of my magazine at that time was at that event. It was so successful mm-hmm. that a lot of individuals said to me and a lot of sponsors said, you know what? You should do this annually. So we didn't want to do a big event in the park. But we mm-hmm. wanted to do something where it was around the city. We wanted to include all five boroughs. Mm-hmm. Because dance was all over and it was starting to bubble up and Pilates was bubbling up and yoga was bubbling up. It was huge. So I said, you know what, we're gonna do New York City Dance Week. It's called mm-hmm. New York City Dance Week. And every we every year, um, the third week of June, mm-hmm. we're going to put together a dance festival. Um, So it was free dance classes for 10 days. So that's Mm -hmm. what New York City Dance Week is. Free dance classes and fitness classes for 10 days. Free dance and fitness labs. So if you have a new idea for fitness technique, you would do a lab, Mm -hmm. do a case study with whoever's participating. You would do that during dance week. We also have performers. Mm -hmm. So you come in and uh, see emerging artists for for performances. We also have a kids program called Dancer for a Day. So we take at-risk youth. Mm-hmm. want to be dancers who would never have been able to get into a dance program
2: uh-huh.
4: never been they would not have been able to make it whether they just look different or they something they just wouldn't get there we wanted those kids because mm-hmm. they had that passion and drive to to want to move so we created the dancer for a day program mm-hmm. and they have one day and they take classes all day they get uh they see a performance at the end of the day. They have lunch. have a nutrition workshop. It's, a, it's a, an immersion in what dance is all about. Mm-hmm. And after that, we follow them. We track them. We bring them into dance companies mm-hmm. and dance programs. And they continue. So that was their chance awesome. of getting into yeah, mm-hmm. it. Was wonder, it's my it was my pet project. For someone like me who didn't have that ballet body, but I had a different kind of body. Mm-hmm. And, and I had to fight for people to pay attention to me because I was an athlete. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of kids who have that type of body,
3: mm-hmm. you
4: know, and, the, and mm-hmm. they don't know where to go because they don't have, they don't have that sleek look mm-hmm. for ballet. They don't mm-hmm. have the lines yet. You know, they really can't do the hip hop, but they could do the modern, mm-hmm. put it all together and they can see a path. They can see a path to success. And that's what I wanted for that program. Mm-hmm. And that's a part of New York city dance week too.
0: That's, that's yeah. a real awesome. part. Yeah. Also. That's the awesome. part. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. That's yeah. all awesome, yeah. but that's just, so of how would somebody get involved with New York city dance week? I mean, first off, you know, I'm Joe Exerciser. Joe Six Pack, I heard, is what we call people now who are average people. Um, and I decide, uh, you know, I, I want to try out some dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this free thing. Where would I be able to sign up? Do yep. I go to the individual studio or do I go to the website no, you co- first? Go to the
4: website. So you go to nycdanceweek.org. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's where you start. So you go there, you take a look at the website, and there's a, a link for to participate so I want to participate, you click on that link it will give you all the information so it's free, so you just click put your information in mm-hmm. and then what will happen is you'll then part of our email list and when the dance week um, studios launch when we launch the list Mm
3: -hmm. then you
4: can select whichever dance studio you want to go to whatever class whatever time of day Mm -hmm. whatever 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 is available you have access to those studios Uh
0: and do you sign up for them through the through New York through York City our, dance, dance week, week, week Yeah, website. through our
4: platform. Right. So, what we do is we'll push that to the studio. So, we'll tell the mm-hmm. studios you have 10 people that want to sign up or 20 mm-hmm. people. Some studios, however, we do have Alvin Ailey as one of our partners. Mm-hmm. You have to contact them. So, you go to their studio uh-huh. and then they'll have a mm-hmm. list of people who, can, who have already pre signed up or open. So, you mm-hmm. go in and say, I want to take this free dance class, and then it's part of New York City Dance Week. So, they have open New York City Dance Week classes. Mm-hmm. So, but the majority of the stu- uh, studios, you can just sign up for them on our website. Yes, yeah, it's, really, awesome. it's super simple. We try to mm-hmm. make it super simple so it's accessible for everyone. We have a mobile mm-hmm. app as well. So, it just needs to be simple so you can try it out, see what resonates, and, mm-hmm. and get an education too. And you're learning. So, this is just like, oh, it's a 10 minute class. There's a full hour, hour and a half classes. Mm-hmm. You know, you're being taught by some fantastic instructors.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Yes, yeah, so you're mm-hmm. getting top notch education and dance and fitness. So, come in, do everything that you want to do. take advantage of it as much as possible. Come to the performances, do the workshops. Mm-hmm. It's all free. So just you know take take advantage of those ten days.
0: <laughs> and that's the third week in June. third week in June.
4: so it starts this year it's June thirteenth through the twenty second. Mm-hmm. So it's always the third week of June. Awesome. Year, yeah.
0: And could you give us the website for Lifespan again and also sure. the New York City Dance Week website? Yeah.
4: So Lifespan is www.lifespanpilates.com. And also Lifespan is the headquarters for New York City Dance Week just because I'm the owner mm-hmm. and I own New mm-hmm. York City Dance Week. And for New York City Dance Week is nycdanceweek.org.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much. You're We're going to take Vincent. a little break now. And we will be back momentarily with our second guest, Jeff Fine. Uh, Jeff is a psychotherapist, nutrition counselor, and a personal trainer as well. And he does some really great work with his clients, so we'll come back and talk to him in a minute. And uh, potentially also keep on talking with Tasha.
3: Physical, culture, music, and
0: art. Streaming live on Radio Free Brooklyn, Wednesdays, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m.
3: K-Z-M-K.
0: And we are back. This is the Physical, Culture, Music, and Art Show. We have Tasha Norman and Jeff Fine here. Hey, I am Vincent Mezzo. Hey, hey. Dean of Discipline, Dean of Personal Training, and the man with the face for radio. (laughs) So our next guest, Jeff Fine, offers more than traditional psychotherapy that just focuses on the mind. He received his B.A. in psychology from Syracuse University, along with a master's in clinical social work from NYU. He loved his practice, but more and more he realized the limitations of only focusing on the mind when clients struggled with maintaining a healthy weight, being consistent with their exercise program, and generally staying on track, making healthy changes. They wanted to change, but were frustrated with being unable to make the progress they knew they needed to. Then it dawned on Jeff, what if he could work with their minds and their bodies simultaneously? And total self-counseling was born. Welcome, Jeff. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us. So, Jeff, in terms of we see so many people who start off in exercise and from exercise they realize, oh, you can't out train a poor diet. I need to learn more about nutrition. Oh, well, nutrition isn't magic. It's pretty obvious what you need to do, but people aren't doing it because psychology and then they realize that oh the pathway into this may actually be different but you seem to have come the opposite way you came from psychology and so few people i believe who were in that world then add in the exercise and the nutrition so what was your journey how did, how did that happen
1: well i can remember all the way back even to like uh, when I was uh, 12 or thirteen, seventh grade, before homeroom, be with my buddies in the library, and I used to sneak uh, the the magazines that were for the girls, like Uh Mademoiselle, Glamour, because they had articles in there that really interested me, Mm -hmm. articles about what people were thinking and feeling. Mm -hmm. And so I knew from a very early age that I wanted to... uh, get involved in understanding the mind. Mm -hmm. And so I graduated Syracuse, and uh, I worked for uh, a few years in human resources, but I wanted to work with people more uh, Mm in-depthly and uh, connect with them at a deeper level. So I went back for my master's in social work. I graduated, and I was working in the field. Um, I had a job during the day, and I was building a private practice at night. Um, And sort of as you alluded to in the introduction, uh, people were talking to me about all kinds of problems, not just about their mind. Mm -hmm. Um, They were Mm -hmm. talking to me about high cholesterol, diabetes, uh, high triglycerides, back pain, neck pain, all kinds of physical things that were troubling them. And I was really frustrated because I wanted to help them, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't. Um, So I wanted to bring in the body piece into my work. And that's when I went back for a master's in nutrition. And, uh, and that helped, but I still wanted to do more. I wanted to understand the body more. And that's when I found you and your program, mm-hmm. uh, amazing program, the Swedish Institute. And, you know, that was really intensive learning uh, about the body. And that really opened up my eyes. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, from there that I really began to integrate these modalities into my work with, uh, with people. Mm-hmm.
0: How um, What sort of roadblocks have you had to combining these things? Because it seems obvious to put these things together, but that's not really the way our healthcare system works. I mean, we were talking with Tasha before, you know, you go to physical therapy and in order to bill insurance, they have to tie everything they do to this one area of your body and they do their best to do that, but it's difficult. So how can you, what, what are some of the roadblocks?
1: Well, uh, you hit the nail on the head with insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no real insurance that can cover me for the integration of work that I do. So I've had to piece it together mm-hmm. and, uh, I actually stopped taking insurance Uh huh. You know? and, you know, if people can get out of network coverage, great. If not, um, you know, they'll pay out of pocket, and I try to work with them on the fee. But you know, mm-hmm. insurance was a real obstacle, and also getting liability protection was an obstacle. Uh huh. Because, um, like I said, no, no, there's no one wraparound liability coverage for someone who does what I do, because mm-hmm. really, almost no one does it. Mm-hmm. And so many people say to me what you said. You know, this really seems to make sense. So, why aren't more people doing it? Mm-hmm. And they're not. You know, mm-hmm. um, you'll see like great places like um, Canyon Ranch, which has an mm-hmm. amazing facility. And they will incorporate some short-term therapy um, into the work. And there are some practitioners that collaborate, but I know so few people who do all of it kind of under one roof. And I, that's what I really wanted. I wanted mm-hmm. to be able to help people on multiple levels because – um, when i 'm working with somebody uh emotionally, of course you know things like how they take care of themselves is always going to come up
2: mm-hmm.
1: You have somebody who 's depressed, maybe they 'll be eating a lot or too little they 're not sleeping all these things come up and um, and maybe they 're not exercising and so I want to be the kind of the focal point of the treatment for mm-hmm. people in that way, and even if they don 't work with me um you know, because I have a gym in my office, um, mm-hmm. talking and training areas. Um, even if they don't work with me in that, using those modalities, it still informs a lot of the work that I do. Even mm-hmm. even if we're doing psychotherapy alone.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Tasha, do you find that people who come to your studio are they? I mean, obviously you do a great job mm-hmm. with what you do, but where do you refer people who may need? Other, you know, for lack of a better word, interventions or other services.
4: You know, that's a really great question because we do have a lot of that in the studio. I mean, people come to our studio. We have clients that not only come for the workout, but they come for the camaraderie. They come for the friendship. They come. It's more psychological than what we when people think, right? So when you come to work out, you you want to be a, among people who understand your energy, who are helping you because. There's a mind-body connection when you're working out, right? So you have the body connection, but where's the mind connection in the studio? We -hmm. don't have that, right? So, you know, if we do run into clients that have some challenges or some concerns, what what do we do? We just, we end up becoming the therapist, and I don't want to step on toes on that. But we end up having to talk to our clients as friends, because we are, but there's that component that we we can't go there. Mm-hmm. You know, we really can't go there. We have clients with issues. We cannot go there, but we can't refer them anywhere because we don't know what to do. What I, I did have a client. I I, w- I will share this. I won't say the client's name, but I will say that I told the client to go to her EAP program. It's the Employee mm-hmm. Assistance Program. Mm-hmm. Now, do you work with Jeff? Do you work with companies or or insurance in that respect with the EAPs, where there's that you know assistance? no Mental I health. don't,
1: but it's a really interesting point you're bringing up and I've given talks to practitioners, mm-hmm. um, not psychotherapists, about what to do when somebody in your shoes comes across somebody who is struggling emotionally. you know how do you begin to talk to that person mm-hmm. uh, because it can get a little bit sticky you know should I uh, cross that boundary? should I suggest therapy? Will they be insulted mm-hmm. um, but I think people like you are really on the front lines Mm -hmm. because uh, people will go and work on their body sometimes before they'll feel comfortable to to kind of dig in emotionally. And so, uh, you know, for people like you and other trainers and nutritionists, I feel, you know, really strongly that, you know, because people might start to talk with you about some of their emotions, that you have a real opportunity to connect, you know, these people that uh, you're working with, with, practitioners like me who can help them in a different way Mm -hmm. and we can collaborate. You know, it's not an either or
4: that's smart. Mm -hmm. That's I think, you know, that, that is that the future? Am I seeing the future? Mm -hmm. Because I think that's really what's next because we see it all the time. And you're absolutely right, Jeff. We are the front lines. Mm -hmm. When folks come to work out, there's some, there could be something else going on. They're working out for a reason. They're trying to work something out physically Mm -hmm. and mentally at the same time. And, you know, and we see all that emotion in are in in the exercise. We see it; it comes out. There are individuals that are, are working out and they just start crying. Exactly. And you know, yeah. and what do you do as an instructor when you see that? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you you want to give them a hug. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. I give hugs, and I'm like, okay, let's get back on the reformer.
1: Well, the thing that I've seen, you know, with practitioners, massage therapists, mm-hmm. physical therapists, nutritionists, um, personal trainers, it seems to be really uncomfortable. For those professionals to say to somebody, look, it seems like you're having a really hard time. You know, hope this is okay for me to say this. But, you know, have you ever considered talking to somebody that seems like it's a it's really uncomfortable for professionals to say.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But I wish professionals would do that more.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, you know, it's
1: there isn't a
0: whole lot of training. I mean, I know from the Swedish Institute with massage therapists, people often have emotional uh, reactions when they're getting a massage. And part of the professional development courses that we give has to do with how do you speak to people? But even within that, practicing that simple statement of I see you're going through something have you ever thought of talking to somebody that that's still such a difficult thing to say and you need to rehearse it but if you go for a weekend workshop right you never get that depth of training it's like oh yeah you think your client's anorexic you should refer them how <laughs> right? right what what exactly does that look like and nobody actually does the role playing where they get to say that and practice saying it and doing it in a caring, non-judgmental way.
1: You know, it's really true. And I think at all levels of, of these professions, there is, is, is a real gap, you know? So people are not thinking this. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've, I've heard a lot of professionals say to me, well, you know what? That's just not my domain. Mm -hmm. So I don't go there. Mm -hmm. And, I really want them to go there. You know, mm-hmm. It's not that I'm suggesting they become psychotherapists or do therapy mm-hmm. with their clients, but they have a really important role that they can play in helping to facilitate a person they're working with getting the help that they need. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely.
4: So, you know, I want to jump in because that is super difficult because it's embarrassing.
1: For who? Mm-hmm. For,
4: for both parties. So I mean I'm really I'm just kind of digging in right now because it's embarrassing for the client and for the trainer. So imagine if you're 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 the trainer and you see some emotional response and that client and you say, you know, how are you doing or or just trying to engage in that conversation, that client then gets embarrassed. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, something just came out and then you're you're risking losing the client or you're risking the client like just being distant because they just revealed something that they didn't want anybody to know, mm-hmm. so that is something to think about mm-hmm. also
1: uh, and, respectfully i'm going to push back a little bit <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> very respectfully no, okay. oh, I, I think that um and I hear this a lot, mm-hmm. you know that it's embarrassing and it's like crossing that boundary there's a lot of uncertainty because it's like there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> Right. You know, it's, it's that, but that's our society, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I, I think it may be more embarrassing for the practitioner and maybe there's mm-hmm. some fears that if I take this risk, I'm going to offend the client or alienate mm-hmm. the client. But what I have found in my experience is that people, just people in general, when they are, are, when their emotion is strong enough that it's coming out mm-hmm. and it's visible mm-hmm. and someone approaches them with sensitivity and they feel seen and heard that that is a a really an incredible experience for the client. And Mm -hmm. I think that quite the opposite would happen that you might have that client Mm -hmm. maybe for the rest of your life (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you touched a place in that client's heart that maybe no one else either saw or was, or was willing to go there. Um, so anyway. Mm-hmm.
4: No, I, mm-hmm. I agree. Now that you said that, I agree with you completely. Okay. I, do, no, I do agree. <laughs> I have a convert. Just, mm-hmm. No, you do have a Absolutely. I just think that there's another side to that, too, where just, you know, what do you do? But I do think the training becomes important mm-hmm. and a way to communicate mm-hmm. that the openness, I think, is really super important. I think there's the training the
1: training is so important. Yeah. And it comes, you know, if students are not getting this training in the, mm-hmm. in, the in the fields of massage therapy, personal training, nutrition, I taught a course that I created at NYU because I went through their program Mm -hmm. and I became friendly with the dean there. And she said, well, what do you want to do with these two degrees? And I said, well, one thing I want to do is teach nutritionists how to counsel because I'm going through this program. And if I didn't know how to counsel, I wouldn't know if when I graduated, Mm -hmm. she said, great idea. And I taught there for about four or five years. And one of the hardest things for the nutrition students to wrap their heads around was, so are you telling us to be therapists? Mm-hmm. No, I'm just telling,
0: telling you, you to be a person, to to be a human being and be in the moment with that person you're sitting with. Excuse me for interrupting. No, I'm but... glad
1: you did. No, I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Like I would talk to them about different diagnoses and educating them about symptoms that to recognize we did role playing about how to talk to people about this, but they were so trained to be in their kind of, um, in their wheelhouse, in their wheelhouse mm-hmm. That it created a lot of anxiety for them to expect mm-hmm. to think about expanding their role, at least to the point of being able to assess, even at a more superficial level mm-hmm. that could this person benefit? You know, is this person hurting?
2: You know, mm-hmm. Can I help
1: them in another mm-hmm. way by connecting them with another but provider?
4: Isn't that what we do? I mean,
1: uh, we would hope
4: but that but that mm-hmm. is the job. I mean, if mm-hmm. you are working with an individual, you are taking them all on. You are mm-hmm. taking them on in a variety of different levels. Fitness, mm-hmm. help, you're taking them all on. As
1: Vincent said, mm-hmm. you would hope.
4: You would, but, that, mm-hmm. but that is our role. So mm-hmm. maybe there needs to be a shift in the thinking. Well, there and absolutely the, does. Yeah.
1: And because I think mm-hmm. to your point, what you said is that there are kind of internal obstacles for the practitioner. There's a sense of, am I going to offend? Again, not to beat a dead horse. Am I going to offend? Am I going to alienate? Am I going to lose a client if I take this risk? And so there are some things that practitioners need to understand uh, in order to be able to think about that more regularly and, and to, to know how to do it.
4: And you're going to create that program for us, right, Jeff? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> or Let's, Vincent.
0: The, I mean, this is the thing. You know, We mm-hmm. do a great job at Swedish Institute teaching massage and personal training and our newer programs, by the way, Swedish Institute, underwrites this show, you can contact the institute at www.swedishinstitute.edu for more information, but everything is in a wheelhouse. The elephant in the room right now is, it's not just about the practitioner. It's about our society. We were talking about a physical therapist, you know, you come, you have a diagnosis, and they need to treat your knee because you have knee pain. And if they want to do something at your hip or something with your abdominal muscles, they need to be able to write that up and relate it to the knee. And even though they know that you probably need to lose weight because that'll take some of the pressure off your knee, they can't give you a treadmill program and tell you how to take your heart rate during exercise because it's not directly related to the knee. So when people go to schools, this is your scope of practice. This is the standard of care, and this is the scope of practice. And be very careful not to go out of your scope of practice because you might get sued. You might lose your certification, use your license. Somebody may litigate against you because you've gone out of your scope of practice. And, you know, to be honest, I'm saying, whew, Thank goodness, because I'm really uncomfortable talking to people about their feelings. So there it is, right? It it is uncomfortable sometimes to get involved with somebody on that level. I just want to do exercise. There's no crying in baseball. Mm -hmm. Can we just do the fun stuff and all of a sudden you're being human and you're having an emotion? And now that makes me maybe a little uncomfortable, but I can get out of that because, you know, it's not my scope of practice. So that gives us an out, but at the end of the day, then how are we holistic? How are we working with mind, body, spirit, however you want to think of it, if that's the way our society ultimately is set up and that influences our thinking as practitioners?
1: Well, I can tell you that um, as I began to kind of create this model for myself, uh, I got a lot of skeptical brows, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially from other colleagues in the field of psychotherapy, because uh, they say you do what? They come, mm-hmm. you change out of your shirt and tie and, and you're in workout clothes with them and, and you put your hands on them? Well, to cue and to stretch and isn't that, um, you're having a dual relationship with the client? You know mm-hmm. All these things that we learned uh, are you know, unethical. Mm-hmm. And I had to say to myself, um, I searched in my heart and I said, this is not in any way a threat to the client's well-being. I'm not um, breaching you know, boundaries in a way that doesn't make sense for this client. I mm-hmm. take it case by case. I'm very careful about who I work with and how uh, and what modalities. Um, that's because everyone starts with uh, psychotherapy with me so I can mm-hmm. understand what they need. Um, but... You know, to put your hands on a client mm-hmm. as a that's psychotherapist, a as that's a, a psychotherapist. big creature yeah. of mm-hmm. How do you maintain the therapeutic frame, I've been asked many times. You know, well, a lot of therapy happens when we're exercising.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, when you see somebody, you know, like you were saying, you know, somebody starts to cry during a workout. Well, what's going on? We can stop and talk about it right then and there. Um, I ask somebody to try to do something, you know, maybe jump up on a box, and they just kind of hang their head low and say, I don't think I can. Now we're getting into self-esteem, self-confidence, sense of physical Mm -hmm. capability. Mm -hmm. And so all this is coming out around the body. But I can deal with it there too, the mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: It's also interesting, you know, in your dance training, Tasha, Mm -hmm. it's so obvious when I went to acting school and when I did theater and theater games and all of that stuff, it's all about how the movement is related to the emotions Mm -hmm. and the movement brings out the emotions and the movements demonstrate, communicate the emotions and yet do three sets of 10, but don't feel anything.
4: Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's it's, you know, the way you kind of explain that is that interesting parallel because in dance, Mm -hmm. you know, you're in touch with your feelings. And I remember performing, the choreographer would give us a story of of what we should be feeling or what that character is supposed to be. You got that story in you and your emotion, there's there's a person that you're attached to as you dance, right? So you feel that emotion. But then at the end of the performance, you got to turn that off. Very hard to do. Very hard Mm -hmm. to do. Especially in when I was doing modern and Caribbean and African, it's hard to turn that off. So you live with it. Same thing in fitness, you, you're there, that, that adrenaline, that same energy that when you're dancing on stage and acting, whatever you're doing, that same energy, it's the same thing. Whether you're dancing in fitness, you're doing a hundred push-ups. that, that adrenaline is the same. It's hard to turn it off. Mm-hmm. And then if that adrenaline takes you to a place where you're, you're channeling something or you're recalling something that brings you to a certain emotion, what do you do when it's done? What do you do after you, your workout? and you Mm -hmm. still have those feelings are raw. They're still there.
1: This is a really excellent point because, you know, a lot of times uh, an increased heart rate for somebody, Mm -hmm. for example, can trigger somebody who's had trauma into uh, confusing that for a panic attack. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like an increased heart rate, uh, it gets confusing. And the brain sometimes, especially of traumatized, highly sensitized people, can't differentiate. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of the work I do is... uh, with the body is not only through fitness. Um, I work with a lot of couples and a lot of individuals and families, but when people are really stuck in their head or they are kind of not in touch with their feelings, I'll frequently ask them, what is your body saying right now? What do you feel in your body as we're talking about this? And they might say, well, I feel kind of a knot in my stomach. And then we start to talk about the knot. Well, what, is it, what, are the, what does that knot want to say? Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's another really important way of bringing in the body Mm -hmm. to to help unlock what's in the mind Mm
0: -hmm. how much of the guided relaxation self-hypnosis type of work do you do do you i mean you're covering all these bases but then at the end of the training session if it's somebody you're doing training with do you also teach them how to relax teach them stress reduction is that something that there's a lot of call for?
1: Uh, certainly where and when appropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times I'm helping people learn how to breathe. And uh, uh, for most people at the end of a session, I'll stretch them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's where I help them to learn how to breathe, breathe into a muscle, mm-hmm. exhale, um, just getting in touch with slowing down, especially as, as they get wound up after mm-hmm. a workout mm-hmm. um, and they have to leave and now go to work. <laughs>
4: Yeah, that's it's interesting that you say that because I, I have this type of meditation that I do. Not all meditation works for me, as kind of we talked about before. But I get riled up after working out. Like I can take on the world, and that is my time to change. Like literally change the world. That I have a sweet spot. That 15 minutes of a great workout, I'm, my mind is going, and that to me is my meditation. Like I can tune out or zone out, and then that's my meditation moment. And then I can feel like I could do anything at that point. And I want to maintain that. I want to keep that. <laughs> so I want to try to, so it's hard to, to maintain it. But to your point, it's like there's certain things that you can do in meditation that can help you, you channel that through the body. And it either helps stretch you out and you can kind of go into that place of peace. Or you go into that place where I can take on the world and, and you know, change change the world. Right. right?
1: And it's very individual, right? Correct. So So this is so important. Um I really work case by case to Mm -hmm. see what a person needs and how I can best be helpful.
0: Jeff, I want to make sure we only have uh, two more minutes. Can you give us the website and let us know how people can get in touch with
1: you if they want to work with you? Sure. It's JeffFine.com with three Fs as in Frank Mm -hmm. or uh, mytotalself.com. Either one will get you there. And uh, I now have a a podcast, uh, Mm -hmm. which... It was great. I was on a couple weeks ago. That's right. It was great Mm -hmm. to interview you. Thank you again for that. And uh, so I'm excited about that. But yeah, people can find me there. Can you speak briefly one minute? What is the stigma
0: about psychotherapy, about emotions? Is there a stigma? Am I just saying that? Or is it somewhat stigmatizing to admit? in our society now that maybe we need some help on this emotional side?
1: I think uh, the stigma is going away. Um, some of it may be more, and I hate to make any sweeping generalizations, mm-hmm. but you know, perhaps men might tend to internalize feelings, um, but lots of men are coming to therapy now. Um, so I don't know if it's as much about stigma as, as getting in touch with what's inside and how scary that can be. Hmm. Um. And that might be what really gets in the way of people coming because mm-hmm. therapy, psychotherapy, re- represents change, and mm-hmm. change can be really scary. And if if you have spent a lot of years, you know, trying to avoid what's inside of you, and then you know, some suddenly go to therapy, you know, that can be really scary. And some mm-hmm. people avoid it for that reason.
0: That that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. This has been the Physical Culture, Music, and Art Show on Radio Free Brooklyn, streaming live. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 organization. You can make a donation at the website, www.radiofreebrooklyn.org. I'd like to thank our guest, Tasha Norman. Thank you, Tasha.
4: Thank you, Vincent.
0: And Jeff Fine. Wonderful to be here. Thank you guys for joining us today. That was a great conversation. And we will be back with more guests exploring the nuances between our physical culture, exercise, and artistic pursuits.
3: www.radiofreebrooklyn.org